Hungry Trilobite podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon is Central Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention. The next event is scheduled for June 24th through 26, 2002 in Norman, Oklahoma. However, they need your help to put on the next event. Please visit SoonerCon.com to find out how you can help make SoonerCon 30 a reality. The Hellmouth Convention The Hellmouth Convention is a celebration of all pop culture, but specifically things like Buffy, Angel, Firefly, and Dr. Horrible. It is held in Los Angeles, California, and the next event is scheduled for June 3rd through 5th, 2022. Proceeds benefit the Los Angeles LGBT Center as well as the Ron Glass Memorial Scholarship Fund. For more information, go to thehellmouth.org. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming Johnny Iman to the show, an actor from the classic era of TV and film, and I am very lucky to have the chance to talk to this gentleman. But before I do, I want to acknowledge that I use several different methods to record this show depending on what equipment I have, what equipment my guest has, and sometimes that produces different results when it comes to sound quality. I had a few setbacks during the editing of this episode, and that did result in the sound quality not being quite what I wanted it to be. I'm still very happy with the content, so full speed ahead as far as getting the show out, but I just figured it was worth pointing out because I do want you, the listener, to get the best sounding show you can, and sometimes that's easier than others. Let's get started with Johnny Iman. On tap today, we have Johnny Iman. How are you doing today, good sir? Very good, and I'm pleased to be with you. I'm glad to have you. I absolutely adore classic TV, and you had a career right in the meaty part of it there. I have to say I'm greatly envious of the fact that you've been on, among other things, one of my favorite shows, The Twilight Zone. Yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, that's one, you know... I did an awful lot of TV, but uh, whenever anybody asks me, uh, well, what did you ever do? I'll always mention just a couple of shows because I know everybody knows Twilight Zone and everybody knows Leave it to Beaver. And so if I mention those two that I did, then uh, everybody goes, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And the industry has changed so much since then. What was it like being able to get your career started at that point, especially since you were working so young. Yeah, I started at six, and uh, that was uh, the time when I hold it, the phone's ringing. If you let me turn it off real quick. There we go. That should be off. Okay, uh, yeah, I started at, at six years old, and back then that was 1956. So, uh, you know, we didn't have we didn't have call waiting. We didn't have so many things back then. So uh, it was a challenge. Yeah, I'd get a call, or my mom would get a call and say, you know, uh, he's got to run over to this studio or that studio, and uh, as quickly as possible for a a job interview. And we dash over town and uh, do like that. Of course, we didn't have didn't have the computer. We didn't have any way to 
back us up. So we had to pretty much live by the telephone. You know, that was one thing. <laughs> yeah. And that's something a lot of people just don't get these days is that you know, you live with your phone not only by the telephone, but the telephone was bolted to the wall. And if it's if you didn't get it when it rang, you didn't have you knew you knew would never know who called. That's right. Right. We didn't have a caller ID either. And uh, you know, there were there's so many things like that. And remember, too, I was sick, so I was just starting school. And that meant sometimes somebody, either my dad Usually my dad would have to come and pick me up at school and get me over to a studio uh, for an interview. So uh, that was another challenging thing because uh, I wasn't free to just go on calls any old time. I had to wait till after school. And the fact, too, that, uh, you know, I was on a series for one year, and that was nice in that I knew where I was going to be working. I knew what I had to do. We had call sheets. Uh, all that good stuff. But uh, the rest of my career was, uh, you know, uh, go go to one studio, get a day's work here, get a day's work there, uh, maybe three or four days, depending on what the job was uh, and the size of the part. So uh, that was challenging, too, in that uh, I never knew from week to week if I'd get any work or if, if I'd, uh, you know, pull up a blank or not get the part there were so many uncertainties involved in it all when you say you were on a series was that going my way uh no it was one called mckeever and the colonel okay and it I'm was sorry. about a boys oh that's okay it was about the boys military academy nbc show on sunday nights and uh it, it was like I said, just uh, on for the one year, but it was pretty popular with kids. For some reason, it didn't get picked up, as as will happen sometimes. And, of course, that was the other big issue back then. They only had three, basically three stations, so uh, it isn't like you're going to work at 25 different you know, cable shows or whatever. You, you're going to be on ABC, NBC, or CBS, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> Yeah, and if you know you tried to make a huge pitch to a huge audience because you know if that show didn't make it, it the chances of it being remembered or brought back are minimal. It's not like today where you know Absolutely. a show fails and it goes to the next guy. That's right. Yeah. So uh, there weren't as many ways to get yourself out there as there are today, too. I mean. Like in my own case today, I mean, I'm not even working in the business anymore, but I've got over 100 videos on YouTube. So I have certain channels where I can remain <laughs> in the public in some form or another, you know, and uh, some of those things just plain didn't exist back then. One thing we did have, though, uh, were the trade papers, the variety and the reporter, and uh what my agent or my mom would do is whenever I was going to have any decent part on TV, we'd put a small ad in the uh, in one of the trade papers saying, watch Johnny Iman tonight on The Untouchables or, or something to that effect. So it sounds like your parents were really trying to encourage this career of yours. Yeah, they were. And uh, I think they were both pretty starstruck. We came from the south side of Chicago back in 1955 
and uh, ostensibly because my dad wanted to be out of Chicago and go somewhere where he could golf a lot. Uh, but I think in the back of their minds, uh, part of it was to maybe get me started on some kind of a career. As it turned out, uh, my first grade teacher is the one who really got things rolling. She had a best friend who was an agent, a kid's agent. And uh, she mentioned me to her friend and the friend came to school, the agent, and saw me and said, well, let's try and send you out on some things. And the first few years, it was all doing extra work, but uh, lots of opportunities to be on the set and inside the studios. And uh, after a few years, I started to get better parts. And this seems like something you, you were enthusiastic about at the time I and mean, being so young, uh, you know, I enjoyed it. I always saw it as an adventure. I never did it begrudgingly. It was like, uh, I can enjoy this, and it got me out of school occasionally. <laughs> and it set me apart from the other kids in a, in a good sense, in that uh, I was doing something that they didn't have a chance to do, ride on the wagon train or, uh, you know, meet some of the popular people of that era. So that was the good part. The hard part, though, was uh, sometimes being set apart for, for being different. Of course, that encourages bullies sometimes, too. And I got that the most in uh, the one year I was in a Catholic school when I was about nine or so. And I did a really popular commercial for Alphabets. And right after that started to be showing all the time on TV, a few of the other kids in that school started, you know, teasing me and taunting me. And uh, so that sort of thing happened occasionally, but not enough, not that much, because uh, I wasn't on a series. I wasn't like the Beaver. I wasn't Eddie Haskell. Uh, at that point in my career, I hadn't even done a series. So I'd work in one Western one week, and I'd work in another type of show a different week, so I wasn't really identified with any particular character for any length of time until I did the series. It's, it occurs to me that you're talking about the way the kids saw you there. Nowadays, I'm not sure kids would find it to be that unusual to suddenly find themselves on TV. At, at the time, TV itself yeah. was pretty new. Absolutely, yeah. This, You know, when I started, that was around, the first thing I did was Ozzy and Harriet, and that was way back in 1956. So, yeah, we're talking early days there. And uh, another kind of irony about the whole thing is one reason the agent wanted me as a client was because I had bright red hair and freckles. And, of course, Color TV didn't really come along for quite some time after that. But, uh, yeah, it's uh, almost everything I did was still in black and white up until I did, like, Disney and a few other shows when I got older. And but, Disney yeah. was, you know, it was kind of the premier TV of the time. It was it was the event for the, the, the weekend, the Disney, uh, the, the, the Disney Sunday yeah, like the wonderful world of color. The wonderful world, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, that was a funny. I got to meet him that day too. Uh, really? When we filmed, 
Yeah, uh, I was about 16. I believe I was 16 when I did it. And uh, he was doing uh, an introduction for the episode uh, for a show called The Adventures of Gallagher. And uh, he did his opening scene uh, in a barbershop. But anyway, he was there on the set. And my scene was going to come right after that in the filming. So he was already on the set when when I was there to do my scene. So I got to meet him. Otherwise, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't have been able to do that. <laughs> now, I guess I'm going to have to, to succumb to temptation and ask, was he really as, as genuine as he always appeared to be on camera? Uh, he seemed to be, yeah. And... Uh, I had a feeling, yeah, towards towards kids and everything, I, I think he was very approachable. I thought he was a very nice man. Cause, and, uh, yeah. Go ahead. I, I don't want to interrupt, sorry. So, oh, that's okay. Yeah, he was a very nice man, and, uh, and I was so glad to meet him, of course. And growing up in L.A. as I did and seeing uh, – going to Disneyland whenever I could possibly do that. So that was a big deal. The other big one at that time, similar situation, was uh, meeting Rod Serling uh, for Twilight Zone. And that was, a, that was a big event for me, too. Just uh, as it happened, we filmed a scene outside at Griffith Park, and uh, I was the pitcher on a baseball team, and I'm in the first five minutes or so of the episode, but uh, we had filmed that scene, and it was a hot day in L.A., and we filmed it up in Griffith Park, and the little girl, who was basically the star of that episode, uh, she got faint, and they were worried about her, so they took her over to a clinic, so we stopped shooting for a while, and over on the side of this uh, baseball sandlot uh, was Rod Serling sitting on a bench, and he was getting ready to do his, uh, you know, normal uh, introduction to an episode, as he always did. And he was just sitting there by himself, and production had stopped temporarily. And uh, I was brave enough to go over and say hi to him and just talk for a minute or so. And uh, the other kids didn't, but I did. <laughs> and uh, that was just a, a very nice experience, too. Again, he seemed like a very... Uh, what shall I say? Just a very down-to-earth person, I got had that impression. Oh, having read a lot of research on him in the recent past, it always seemed like he took the show very personally and wanted to make it an extension of his advocacy in the world. So uh, the welfare of kids was one of the many, many concerns on his, on his mind. Oh, yeah, and so many of the episodes of that show were demonstrating those so many humanitarian themes. Was it a show you got into after the fact, once you know your, your day on the job was done? Well, that's another thing about being a kid actor, uh, especially, I think that one I did with Twilight Zone happened to be in the summer, but ordinarily, kids had to get in, and still do, have to get in three hours of school on the set as a part of the Board of Education's mandate, uh, we would film a scene, and throughout that day's work, we'd have to get in three hours of school with at least 15-minute increments each time. And uh, 
So that kind of limited us as far as hanging out with different stars is concerned. Uh, we'd get dragged away by the welfare worker or someone or the teacher uh, to go back into a cl- uh, makeshift classroom and study between our scenes. So uh, we had a lot less connection with a, a lot of these stars, as you might imagine. Now, people who were on a series like My Three Sons or Dennis the Menace or even Leave it to Beaver, they worked with the same people year after year, and so they were able to develop more uh, relationships with the other actors. But uh, aside from the year I did the series with uh, with Alan Jocelyn, an old character actor, as the colonel, and uh, Sergeant Barnes, who was uh, Jackie Coogan, who's one of the, boy, he, he went way back to the days of silent films and uh, one of the biggest actors, the kid actors of all time. He was the kid with Charlie Chaplin, and he was uh, one of the other co-stars of that series I was on. So with the exception of that year that I did the, the series, it was hard to really get to do more than meet different celebrities or actors. Uh, we're not going to go out for a drink after work or anything. Right. <laughs> so that that put us in a kind of different category, too. And I also think it might have had something to do with how they treated us uh, even when we worked a day here or a day there we were kids so there's a certain amount of uh they treat you a little bit nicer than they might have to some other actor perhaps who who was on the show for just a day or two so you got out of the industry for a bit and Yet yeah. you're, you're speaking of it very fondly. You're looking back at it, seeing it as a very positive experience. And, and I have yes. to wonder if there's a part of you that, that misses it or, or at least looks at it and, and sees what it's become, maybe misses that part of it. You know, it's about so many things that I've had in my life where I'm so glad I had the opportunity to do it, but I never want to do it again. <laughs> and, you know, after I was an actor, uh, I kept doing it till I was about 20, actually, and uh, the parts had pretty much dried up, and I wasn't getting enough work to justify waiting for those phone calls all day long. I had to make a living. I didn't come from a, a well-to-do family, so I had to start supporting myself, and uh, that meant I had to get jobs. So uh, from high school on, I was getting some work as a as a guitarist playing in garage bands and then later on some other bands. Uh, so that was, that was another, like a detour I took was in as a musician. Then I taught English in Japan for 10 years. And, uh, another thing where glad I did it, don't want to do it again. And working on the fishing boats up in Alaska for three months at a time in the Bering Sea, Great experience. Don't ever want to do it again. <laughs> I'm seeing you're a you guy. Know, also, yeah. I was like, you're Go a guy ahead. who's not afraid of adventure. That's for sure. No kidding. And uh, you know, I just retired uh, after 25 years as a flight attendant with originally Northwest Airlines, and then after the merger with Delta Airlines. So I was doing that for 25 years, and that's one thing I still kind of miss. I retired in. August of last year, and uh, 
so many great experiences. I got to work a lot internationally. I was even doing the announcements in Japanese on the uh, on the flights for Japan. And uh, so I was going to Japan like four times a month and to other places too, to Paris and whatnot. But uh, after that was done, I, uh, I, I also did, of course, the uh, domestic flying as well. So I have a lot of really good memories from that, maybe more so than almost anything I ever did. But the acting, uh, meeting so many wonderful people, even if I didn't get to know them real closely, or being associated with uh, certain shows, and to this day, uh, still hearing from people about certain shows, uh, getting some letters from people or through Facebook or whatever, uh, people remembering some of those shows or maybe even some little part I had in some show. Uh, to this very day, after 50 or 60 years, you know, that's pretty rewarding, too. <laughs> well, I tell you, I appreciate the chance to talk to you right now because there's I have such an interest in that that what we call the classic era of TV. So much came from that, and the chance to actually hear these stories firsthand is, is it's a blessing. Oh, yeah. It really is. Uh, I'm now seeing, yeah. hey, you're a pretty cool guy, and I would like to talk to you about things like travel and your adventures as a flight attendant because that's also a huge interest of mine. Uh-huh. Um, but in, before we can get to that, people might follow you on IMDb, and you said you have a Facebook could I link to that in the show notes? Oh, sure. Go right ahead. And it's uh, on Facebook. Uh, there are two different accounts I had, but uh, the one that is still really active is the one with my name, John Allen, A-L-A-N, Iman, E-I-M-E-N. And, uh, yeah, I'm up on that, and uh, I often put up different stories about my experiences in TV little stories i even put up pages from scripts and uh and other things like and uh and, and other things related to uh the work i did awesome i will link to that in the show notes is there any other place you could point people toward if they want to keep tabs on your adventures or maybe reach out to you well yeah uh again like i mentioned at the very start about youtube uh under john iman and I have a lot of, I, I love to write songs, so I have my music room upstairs, a little rinky-dink, uh, you know, keyboard and my guitars and uh, a 16-track recording workstation, and I I write, love to write songs, so I put up, uh, I don't know how many songs I put up, maybe 50 or so songs on YouTube, and in addition to that, I've also made uh, videos, or I should say slideshows, sometimes with my music playing in the background, but slideshows of different shows I was on, mainly featuring my own little parts in them, as opposed to, you know, the entire episode. I'll have just the shots that I was in. But, uh, yeah, so that's under John Hyman on YouTube. And uh, you can kind of go through it and see which ones are you might want to skip the music altogether and go right to the uh, different episodes of shows like uh, like like I said the untouchables or, or or the rebel is one I just put up on Facebook the other day my uh, my appearance on that that was one of those westerns with uh, Nick Adams and 
Have Gun Will Travel is another one of the big ones that I did. Uh, I think it, I'm pretty sure it was my first or second speaking role back in 1959. And uh, I did a couple of episodes of that, and that was also a kind of iconic Western show with uh, Paladin and uh, Have Gun Will Travel. <clears throat> so I have up stuff from that and some other shows. And if you look around on my page for under YouTube, you'll come across stuff like that too. I'm going to check that out and I'm going to make sure everything gets linked on there because I definitely think this is something we should follow up on. Great. Hey Johnny, I am going to let you go now, but I would like to have you back on to touch on travel and music and all that other cool stuff. Uh, so how sure. about we swing back and talk again sometime soon? Oh, it sounds like a plan. Okay, buddy. Thank you so much for being here. Okay, thanks. So talk to you again. Talk again. I would like to thank Johnny for being my guest today, and I would like to thank you for listening. For the community building part of the show today, I want to just take a moment to appreciate how happy I am that Johnny was able to be part of our show. I have a huge interest in vintage TV and vintage cinema, and we do not have the opportunity to talk to those people as much as we'd like to. A lot of them have moved on. A lot of them have passed on. Some of them are not able or willing to talk to us about the adventures they've had. So I want to be thankful that we've had the chance to talk to Johnny. And if I could find anybody else out there who has his type of experience, I would love to hear from you. If you worked in TV and film in the golden era, please let me know. Or if you know somebody that knows somebody, I would appreciate hearing from you. You could reach me at bossigpodcast at yahoo.com or my, at my Twitter at Aaron Bossig. You can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and we are syndicated on Realm of the Mist, a fantastic podcast network. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.